pastor's job descriptions. There are several of us in this congregation who are pastors. Probably remember the ordination service where they included this scriptural job description of pastors that went on and on and on and on. It seems like pastors were being ordained to have every spiritual gift known to the kingdom of God. And so perhaps in in, uh, subsequent years, I've been looking for shorter job descriptions. Eugene Peterson proposed a job description in his memoir after a a long and illustrious career, he said that the pastor's job was to be attentive to God and attentive to the congregation. Pay attention to God. Pay attention to your people. I like that. I've even been able to remember that, to memorize that, which is saying something. This past year, I I read three books by a a much younger author than Eugene Peterson, a pastor named Andrew Root, who proposed the job description of a pastor is to pray and to teach the congregation how to pray. What do you think? To pray and to teach the congregation how to pray. And so we are going to be spending the next few months working our way through the Gospel of Luke looking in particular at the ways in which there are prayer conversations between God and his people, as captured in the story of Luke. Of course, those stories aren't all the kind of prayers that we would imagine, people getting down on their knees at an altar and and having a conversation with God. Sometimes it's a conversation with an angel, who is the God's messenger. Sometimes it's a conversation with Jesus, who is God himself. A conversation with Jesus is a conversation with God, right? And if prayer is conversation, then a conversation with Jesus is prayer, right? And we can learn something from that. So hopefully in the course of the next few months, this will be a a part of my attempt to help our congregation pray more deeply and hear more clearly. It's especially important, I think, for us to make sure that we are praying and learning how to pray more deeply. As I mentioned last week, the secular world in which we live would have us believe that God is dead, God is absent, God is irrelevant. And yet it's in our prayer, in our conversations with God, that he becomes most present that not been your experience? We may cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But when God answers, we realize he hasn't forsaken us after all, has he? So learning how to pray in a secular world where people would tell us that God is absent, God is dead, God is irrelevant. So let's look at a story of a conversation that God had with Mary through the angel Gabriel, the messenger Gabriel. You'll find it in Luke chapter 1. I'll begin reading at verse 26. In the sixth months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, remember last week we started with the story of Zechariah at the end of which 
Gabriel announced that his old wife, Elizabeth, would have a baby. So in the sixth month of her pregnancy, God sent the angel, the same angel Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I don't know about you, but... I have a hard time imagining what it would be like to be Mary having this conversation with Gabriel. What are some of the words that we might use to describe this conversation? Terrifying. Terrifying. (laughs) Holy. Shocking. Let's settle on the word surprising for today, though. That's one of many things that it certainly was for her. It was surprising. Surprising, perhaps, for two reasons. At least two reasons. First, I would suggest that this was a surprising conversation because it was a surprise that God chose Mary. He says, the angel says, you who are highly favored... Now, oftentimes, and perhaps when this same phrase appears in verse 30, we get the idea that Mary was of some quality and character that made her stand out from all of the other women in the world. And that might very well be. She might be in the long line of people like Noah and Abraham and others that were were chosen by God. But in this case, this in verse 28, to be highly favored is not so much a comment on her character as much as it is the recognition of God choosing her to bear the Son of God. It means that she has received the grace of God in great measure. God has favored you. (laughs) Thank you, I think. (laughs) That's maybe favor that I could do without. Perhaps she was thinking. She didn't say it, though. I I like the way Eugene Peterson translates this in his message version. The angel says, good morning. 
You're beautiful with God's beauty. Beautiful inside and out. God be with you. We are favored by God. God wants nothing more than to pour out his beauty on us. Mary may not have felt that this was a greeting that she deserved or of which she was worthy. But God, over and over and over again, uses the humble, chooses the humble and the powerless in order to accomplish his purposes, doesn't he? After all, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. God's strength is made complete in our unworthiness. You can't help but contrast Gabriel's conversation with Mary and Zechariah, the one that takes place earlier in this chapter. Gabriel's enunciation to Mary is as different from Zechariah's as can possibly be. Zechariah was a mature priest, an old man. Mary was an immature young woman, probably only a teenager. Zechariah was in the temple in Jerusalem, in the holy place, right outside the Holy of Holies. Mary is in the backwater town of Nazareth in Galilee. Zechariah was married. Mary was unmarried. Zechariah's wife was barren, had been barren for years and years and years. Mary got pregnant without even trying. Those are two completely different people, aren't they? Two completely different conversations. Surprise! God chooses to use and to empower and to equip and to provide for all kinds of people. Everybody from Zechariah to Mary. So in summary, choosing Mary is... An improbable, unexpected, shocking, terrifying, wholly surprising encounter. The second thing that is surprising about this encounter is the surprise of Mary's response. Again, it's, it's helpful to see the contrast between Zechariah and Mary. In verse 34, Mary says, How will this be since I'm a virgin? How does that question differ from what Zechariah had said when the angel announced to him that his wife would be pregnant and that a son would be born? Mary said, how will this be since I am a virgin? Zechariah said, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Mary's question, Mary's question is about the mechanics of becoming pregnant. How how do you plan to do this, is what she's asking. Mary's request is for information, not for proof. Zechariah, on the other hand, questions the possibility that this event could even happen in the first place. In essence, he's saying, I don't see how this is even possible. Even for God to get my wife pregnant is impossible, is kind of what Zechariah is saying. Two completely different responses, right? Verse 35, the word overshadow is an interesting one. In answer to the question, how is this going to happen? I'm a virgin. Gabriel says that you're going to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. 
The word overshadowed here is a word that appears in only two different places. The first place in, in both Matthew Mark, and, or Matthew, Mark, and Luke is when Peter, James, and John are on the Mount of Transfiguration. And they are overshadowed by the presence of God, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit on that mountain as they hear God say, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Overshadowed. The second occurrence is in the book of Acts chapter 5 where Peter's healing shadow falls on people or people are hoping that Peter's healing shadow will fall on them as he's walking through Jerusalem, hoping that if, if only his shadow would fall on them, then they would be healed. Overshadowed. So Mary is in pretty good company here, right? She's going to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, the way, Peter, the way Peter, James, and John, and Jesus were on the Mount of Transfiguration. She's going to be overshadowed with the kind of power that caused miracles just because Peter's shadow passed over people. The angel concludes his pronouncement in verse 37 by saying, For no word from God will ever fail. Do you believe that? No revelation from God will ever fail. No enunciation from God will ever fail. Nothing that God says will ever fail. And Mary's response is, may your word to me be fulfilled. This is the assurance that she had that God could do anything. God could restore anything. God could revive anything. God could redeem anything. God could empower anything. May it happen to me. Therefore, we can trust that anything God says or does is worth listening to and worth obeying. So Luke begins his gospel with two angelic conversations with God, two annunciations to Zechariah and Mary. It's surprising that God uses the people that he does. It's surprising that they respond the way that they do. So think back in your life to a time when Well, maybe God called you to do something. God called you to make a move. God called you to get involved in some ministry. Or or think about a time when you just felt like there was was a, a need for a change, a change of location, a change of work, a change somehow in your family. I, I don't know what it is, but think about a time in your life that may bear some small similarity to this Annunciation to Mary. Kind of got that time in your mind? I was 21 years old, standing in the kitchen, go to Bible college. Now, having this image in your mind, whatever it is for you, what is one or two words that you would describe, that you would use to describe your reaction to that? Julie, one word, how did you describe your reaction? Um, Confused. 
confused. How about you? A word that would describe how you felt in the midst of that call, that change, that transition, that new beginning. Oh, no. Joy. Is that you, God? Wow. Overwhelmed. The word that Mary, that I, I choose this week to describe Mary's reaction to this is the word peace. An amazing peace that she had. Now, let's first define peace, because it's a word that gets used a lot of ways, right? One Greek scholar says that peace is once shattered lives again being made whole. Lives that were once shattered being made whole is peace. Uh, Becoming in Christ what God originally intended us to be. Peace. Making whole. Restoring to what was intended. William Barclay, a great New Testament scholar, says, Peace is the tranquility of heart which comes from the awareness that our times are in the hands of God. They may be startling, shocking, uh, upsetting times, but if we're confident that those times, our times, are in the hand of God, then we can have that kind of peace. It's the serenity that we can enjoy knowing that God is in total control. And if you look through scriptures, oftentimes... Those who had this kind of peace were not in the midst of pleasant times, right? But they were assured of the fact that everything was in God's control. Peace is part of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, of course. All of those fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of them are outward-looking virtues, They have to do with our relationship with other people and with God, as opposed to the list of vices that are also uh, contained there in Galatians chapter 5, all of which are inwardly selfish-focused things. So part of the, the meaning of this word peace is that it's concerned about other people. It's concerned about what's going on in the world around them. As I was talking about this with Lynn this week, she reminded me as we're approaching the end of the season of Hanukkah that the Hanukkah, a special version of the menorah that's used during the, the, the festival of lights, the Hanukkah is instructed to be placed in the window of your home And not used to provide light for whatever you're doing in the house, but instead to be a beacon, a light for those on the outside. We have the fruit of God's Spirit, peace, not primarily for our benefit, but for the benefit of others. God's invitation to Mary to... Be the mother of God is not for her benefit. Can I get an amen? (laughs) It's not for her benefit. Mary recognizes that her baby will be for the benefit of the entire world. Angel says, name him Jesus, which means God saves. 
the best way to understand peace is not a bunch of dictionary definitions, though, is it? It's in the life of Mary, who is the embodiment of this peace, that we begin to see what peace really looks like. Think about the changes that came along with this annunciation that she was going to become the mother of Jesus. Think about the changes in her life. I'm I'm thinking about her relationship with Joseph. Completely derailed. What is his role going to be? Something completely different from what it would have been had she just been a normal girl going through getting married, right? What about the marriage plans? This is going to be awkward, folks. Can we find a gown that's going to fit her? Think about family life from that point on. The oldest son in this family is not just like everybody else's firstborn, is he? Family life is going to be different. Parenting is going to be different. There are going to be the inevitable suspicions regarding her pregnancy that will affect her reputation among even those that were closest to her. And yet she says, may your word to me be fulfilled. That's peace. That's a confidence that this is for a greater purpose than she could ever imagined. May your word to me be fulfilled. In Peterson's message translation, he says, he, these are the, way, the words that, that he, he gives uh, to Mary's mouth. He says, she says, yes, I see it all now. <laughs> yes, I see it all now. I am the Lord's maid ready to serve. Let it be with me just as you say. I love how he captures the fact that she she sees something that nobody else would probably see. She sees in this annunciation that God is going to do something absolutely extraordinary for the entire human race through her baby. She got the whole picture, seemingly, in that moment, according to the way Peterson translates that verse. So Mary was called to an extraordinary mission of being the mother of God. She received the commission with amazing peace. God is calling us to be his ambassadors, is he not? He's calling us to be his incarnation in the world. Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I promise to look like Jesus today. I promise to behave like Jesus today. Okay, now, how are you feeling having just made that promise? (laughs) Like this shaky pulpit. And yet, we can have that same peace that Mary had, knowing that God wants to do something through us, in and through us today, to make an extraordinary difference in our world. So how can we experience, how can we have that kind of peace as we are God's ambassadors? I would suggest to you it comes in one word, and that word is submission. Submission is one of many spiritual disciplines. And I would suggest to you this morning that there's a facet of submission which is, in essence, a prayer. A prayer of submission. That's what we hear from Mary's mouth, right? May your will be done in my life. 
I'm willing to do that, a prayer of submission. Submission begins with the enunciation. God always speaks first. God always speaks first. You think back through the scripture, Adam and Eve, God speaks first and says, this is what I want you to do. Noah, God speaks first. You're living in the midst of a, of a horribly fallen world, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save your family, and here's the boat I want you to build. God speaks first. God spoke first to Abraham. God spoke first to Moses. God spoke first to Samuel. Submission begins by hearing the word of God. Submission begins by God saying, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to say. This is what I want you to be. Perhaps it comes in an audible voice, the way God called me to to ministry. Perhaps it comes in this nagging impression in the back of your mind that you just can't shake. Perhaps it comes from a scripture passage that just springs to life as you're reading it one day for the thousandth time. And God speaks through that. God speaks to us in a number of different ways, but it begins with God speaking. And next comes trust. The angel Gabriel says, God's word cannot fail. God's enunciation, God's revelation, God's call in your life cannot fail because God is behind it. The question is, will I trust God's call? Will I lean on it with all of my weight? Will I trust that God's word cannot fail and therefore I can obey. And that's the third step. It begins with enunciation. Next comes trust. And finally comes obedience. The critical question here is, who's in charge? Oftentimes when we hear God say something shocking or surprising or startling to us, the first thing that raises its ugly head in us is, this is not my plan. This is not what I anticipated. This is not what I'm gifted to do. This is not what I was expecting to do. I'm in charge of my life. I'm the one that makes decisions. But submission is willing to say, I'm not in charge. You are in charge, Lord. I'm willing to lay aside the need to be in charge of my own life. I wonder if we can say with John the Baptist, he must become greater and I must become less. That's a prayer of submission, isn't it? Mary's trust and obedience is captured in verse 38 when she says, may your word to me be fulfilled. And as I was reading and pondering that verse this week, it it dawned on me finally that it sounds an awful lot like something that would be said 33 years later. When Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed, not my will, but your will be done. That's a prayer of submission, isn't it? Which got me thinking about something that I'd never thought about before. Jesus grew up for 30 years in Mary's home. He had the extraordinary privilege of probably hearing this Annunciation story, perhaps over and over again over the years. He heard about the angel calling his mother to have this miracle baby. 
Jesus grew up in that household for 30 years watching the way his mother lived her life in relationship to the villagers and the friends and the family people. Jesus grew up watching Mary, who was really a role model of submission, wasn't she? Her entire life changed because God had called her to be the mother of the Messiah. And Jesus grew up watching her example. And I wonder if Mary's example helped Jesus to become a more submissive person. I know we usually think of Jesus probably only from from day one. He just did it all right. Of course, it says he never sinned. But I wonder if even in Jesus' young life, becoming a submissive person wasn't helped by watching his mother's submission. Hearing the stories of his mother's submission to God's will. Her peace enabled him to be a person of peace in no small measure. Jesus submitted his body on the cross just as his mother had submitted her womb to the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. Mary is not just Jesus' role model. Mary is our role model. A role model for living a life of submission to God's call in our lives. And who might be watching our example? When your kids were watching you as they were growing up, did they see a heart of submission? Did they see a person who trusted that if God says it, it's going to happen? Did they grow up Watching, hearing us pray prayers like, not my will, but your will be done. Did they hear us pray, may your word be done to me just as you said? And how might these people that are watching our lives today be shaped by our example? I hope my kids in the years that they lived in our home, grew up in our home, picked up on our submission instead of my (laughs) strong-willed... Finish that sentence any way you imagine. No word from God will ever fail. What is God's word to us today? Am I trusting God's word to me? Am I the Lord's servant? Am I saying you can, may your word be fulfilled in me? I want us to work together this week on this prayer of submission. Not my will, but your will be done. Lord, you're in charge, not me. What's your word for me today? And may it be fulfilled in me. Those are just some examples of prayers of submission. How might we put into words our willingness to let God be in charge? How might we hear the annunciation to us this week of how we might love a neighbor, how we might provide for a family member? How might we hear that and say in response, yes, I see it all. (laughs) I want to be a part of that. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you that you always speak first. And we believe that you have called us to follow you. You have called us to walk in your footsteps. Lord, we believe that from moment to moment, from day to day, you continue to call us to say and do things that would reflect the glory of God into our world. We believe, Father, that as you speak, that your words are true. Your words are faithful. Your words are powerful. Your words will never fail. We trust you, Lord. We trust what you're calling us to do and to be this week. And we thank you for giving us a peace. Thank you for giving us a peace that enables us to obey you. And Lord, we commit to obey you this week. We will live Christ-like lives. We will listen for your word. We will obey you because we know that your intent is that this entire world would become your kingdom. Where your will is done, even as it is in heaven. Lord, we have... Perhaps not as big a task, a big as call, a call as Mary received. But Father, we believe that it's a serious call. It's an important call. It's not just for pastors. It's for all of us to be ambassadors. To be evangelists. We take seriously that call and we thank you for your Holy Spirit overshadowing us with your glory and your power your courage, and your humility. Lord, I was reminded at the end of that song just now where they repeated over and over again the word Amen. That word alone is a prayer of submission. Maybe so. Let it be. Let it be. And all of God's people say, 